Is there anyone who hates men more than Alex Garland? Me. <laughs> it's a close call, though. Yeah. No, I, I, right. I definitely, I don't, I don't make art about it. So maybe, you know. Uh, you haven't spent twenty years making art about it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also fascinating that I'm not a man. Yeah. Like it's fascinating that Alex Garland is a man. Dude who hates dudes. We love to see it. Yeah. Call those bitches out. Exactly. Speaking of, uh, hey babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Men? You mean the 2022 British folk horror film written and directed by Alex Garland? (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) And it'd be pretty weird if you didn't remember it because we just ended this five minutes ago. Literally, we like just watched it. So you guys are getting us fresh. Yeah, I don't think we've done this since, what, Midsummer? Raw. Yeah. Again, great movie, but (laughs) two weeks in a row that we mentioned it. But no, uh, I don't think we've done like a uh, off the, like a fresh off the boat take. Fresh off the boat. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think we've done that in a very long time. I think Um, it was Midsummer was the last time we did it. Like we watched it, We went to the theater and yeah. We went to a midnight showing and recorded an episode at like 3 (laughs) a.m. No, that was, you're thinking of The Witch. Oh, it was The Witch. You're right. Um, Eh, Yeah. Close enough. So I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Super factual. Yes. The most factual, one would say. <laughs> we're the one and only Horror Babes. And if anybody else tells you they're one, they're a liar. Liar! So, we're going to be following our normal format today. What that means is Topher's going to take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and the crew, and then I will take us through the plot. And then, of course, we will analyze said plot because that's why we're here. Facts. So, <laughs> Topher, <laughs> I'm only I'm only spitting facts today. Um, so, Topher, who made this thing? God, my... There are so many amazing directors and writers of horror working right now. But this man is, I think, my favorite. And I know that that's controversial, but fuck me if I'm wrong. Mm. Alex Garland, man. God. Third time we're covering him on this podcast, and for good fucking reason. He's three for three. 100%. At least, actually, no, we've covered him way more than that on this podcast. This is the fifth time we've covered him. This yeah. is the third time as a director and fifth time as a writer. Mm-hmm. But Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah. <laughs> my heart's beating out of my chest at how much I enjoyed that movie. I was yelling through most of it yeah, while you appreciating were acting the vibes. Like, you were acting like we were at a sports game. It's how it felt for me. It was a vibey sports game. So basically baseball. I love that. <laughs> Baseball's just sports and vibes. And so is Alex Garland. Yeah. <laughs> But man, yeah, um, we'll get to how much I love it and why in a bit. But I guess I should talk about the other people who were involved in this and the reasons I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. We have Jesse Buckley as our protagonist, Harper. Yeah. A lovely Irish lady who's reeling from uh, some very recent trauma. You'd know her primarily. This is her like big, big film. Um, but she was in Beast, she was in Wild Rose, and then a great little Charlie Kaufman joint, uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And which is, I, I, I mean, I love Charlie Kaufman, but yeah. that's a great movie. Funny enough, that was uh, my little sister's first introduction to Charlie Kaufman, and I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> Weird place to start, but hey, it's you. We all have our own journeys. Exactly. And I should say, just like every Alex Garland movie, there's like five people in it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Annihilation's his largest cast outside of Devs. And even that, even then, Devs is only like seven people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So in terms of faces we see, the next one is uh, Papa Eseodu as mm. James, the ex-husband. He, you, and you would definitely know him from either the Lazarus Project, but more likely I May Destroy You. Mm-hmm. God, that show. So, so good. So good. And one that you're just like, you want to shove down because you're like, Ugh. but Michaela Cole, man. I know. I, I need every, I I need people to recognize her brilliance. I've I've loved Michaela Cole since um, Chewing Gum. Oh sure, that yeah. That very quirky show. I loved that show. I want to say my introduction to her was Black Mirror. Was she in Black Mirror? Yeah, she's in the uh, the Star Trek episode with. Oh um, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, with Kristen Milioti. Yeah, I would and, say. And uh, Jesse Plemons. Chewing Chewing Gum is like the only version of. I would call it like cringe comedy that I enjoy. Fair enough. Because <laughs> I don't really, I'm not like an office, I'm not a fan of The Office. Um, yeah. <laughs> either iteration, so. Um, but yeah, so then we have, Jesus Christ, this guy is so good. Rory Kinnear as the men, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little spoilery up top, but you know what we do here. We talk about the movie. We're going to spoil things. Well, yes. Otherwise, I couldn't fill an hour. <laughs> True. Could but, you imagine if we just talked about things like vaguely? <laughs> oh my god, I would hate us. I would. Like, I would. Like, shut what this are bo- you talking about? <laughs> I would steal our IP and just delete everything we did. Yeah. But yeah, most recently he was in Our Flag Means Death, which is the wonderfully gay pirate show on HBO. Yeah. So fun. You, so you love that show. I've watched it three times. <laughs> you love that show. I do. Um, but he also is known as Tanner from the most recent uh, series of James Bond films with uh, uh, Daniel Craig. And he was also in Black Mirror as the prime minister who fucks a pig on national television in the national anthem. The very, very first episode yep. of Black Mirror. Correct. Um, lastly, we have a couple. I mean, there's a couple people who are barely in it, um, like quick cameos almost. Yeah. Uh, we have Gail Rankin as Riley, Harper's mm-hmm. best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, she did actually recently play Queen Victoria in The Greatest Showman. She was also in Glow as Sheila the She-Wolf. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I recognize her face and I can't place it. And that's exactly what it was. Um, Sarah Toomey as Police Officer Frida, who has three lines. Uh, as a body double... We had Zachrathera Oxley for the little boy mm-hmm. in the village. And because it's an Alex Garland project, you know who's in this. None other than Sonoya Mizuno. Favorite. I, I adore her. People talk shit on her in devs. And I was like, I'm sorry, she was great. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Right. <laughs> I get that I was, uh, I think we were all a little too hype for devs when it came out. Just because Garland had gone two for two out of the park. Yeah. And Devs was like an infield double. Mm. I'm going to keep using baseball terms. The season just ended. It did just end, yeah. Yeah. As we always say with indie directors, it was a tight crew that has been working together forever. Correct. <laughs> Cinematography by Rob Hardy, uh, who you would know from little projects like Ex Machina and Annihilation. See our episodes on Ex Machina and Annihilation. <laughs> yeah. Um, editing from Jake Roberts, who's been working with Danny Boyle, Andrew McDonald, and uh, Andrew Garfield for ages, since Train Spotting. Mm-hmm. Our production design was Mark Digby, uh, who also worked on all of those movies, and also worked on Slumdog Millionaire, Millionaire and Rush. 
Very nice. Yeah, right? Yeah. I love when just everybody sticks together. We're like, we're all friends here. Friends and family. <laughs> and then the costume design, which I thought was fantastic, uh, goes to Lisa Duncan. Ohana means family. Ohana means family, and, Oha- and family means nobody gets left behind. Mm-hmm. And lastly, for uh, folks involved with this, once again, you have the same team who has been here since Ex Machina, Jeff Burrow and Ben Salisbury. And you would know Jeff Barrow's, or Barrow, Barrow, it's B-A-R-R-O-W. Did you say would, that Barrow? I would say Barrow. Okay, so yeah, Jeff Barrow, or as you said, G-F. Barrow, Barrow would probably be an O, right? I have no idea. But anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. He's from England. I don't I don't expect anything to be pronounced in a way that I expect it to. Right. Um, but yeah, he was in Portishead. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, that's why I was like, immediately when I saw his name, I was like, wait a second, I know these two names, but I was like, I definitely know who Jeff Barrow is. So like, he was in Portishead. And I... You know how much music I selection <laughs> was really wonderful in this between so cool. between very like dissonant um, kind of choral chanting, I guess I would say. Yeah, that's exactly what I would call it. Yeah, um, but then you also kind of have some like folk music in there. So like it's some a, classical music because again, Garfield and play, always and she not plays Garfield, piano. <laughs> so it's. It's a really nice mix. It, it, it really goes, is. It, it's a couple different genres of music that actually that somehow through this movie come together, and I think that that is what makes this um, makes this soundtrack to this movie really a really good complement to it because absolutely it ties all these like genres together that you would never <laughs> that you would never put in the same thing unless you were. A genius. <laughs> and it turns out it's made by a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not reticent to call anybody who was in Portishead a genius because, again, fuck yeah, that band. Mm-hmm. I know that makes me a weird 2008 hipster, but guess what I was? Nobody's surprised. <laughs> no one is surprised. As always, it was produced by Andrew McDonald. Yep. Um, distribution was from Entertainment Film, and the production company was DNA Films. Obviously, this is also A24. Yeah. Uh, if you remember back at the beginning of the year when we teased this uh, movie, it, we were talking about like, yeah, of course it was A24. Like, of duh. course. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's vibes. It, therefore, A24. Vibey. I don't have a lot of info on the bo- on the budget, but the box office, it made $11 million back. Mm-hmm. And for a mid to late May release for a horror film, like pre-blockbuster season and it's an indie film. It's pretty good. That's solid. Yeah. I'd, I'd take it. <laughs> I mean, fuck yeah. Right? So the last couple things, just because I haven't done this in a minute and I love talking about it. Other than the first thing I'm going to say, which is the runtime. It's a nice 100 minutes, like 101 maybe. Yeah. But it's like on the dot of buck 40. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it had a really cool aspect ratio. Again, I want to talk that, about that later, but it's 185 to 1. So mm-hmm. it's almost square, which yeah. is really cool. Or it's a it's a weird rectangle, I should say. Sure. Um, and was shot on shot on a, F- a Phantom Flex 4K, um, the Sony Venice, and a Panavision series, H-Series lens. I have no idea what any of those things are, but they sound really cool. I do, and everybody <laughs> else. People who other, other people do. Everybody uh, else but you, Everybody Nicole. but you, you dumb Everybody bitch. Everybody but you. <laughs> Sorry, to that. quote a line from the movie, you stupid bitch. <laughs> you st- I already know where you are, you stupid bitch. Um, but yeah, no, I love shouting out camera formats and lens formats. The H series is a really cool series of lens. Love that. And I'll talk about it later. <laughs> Bore the fuck out of all of you because it's my podcast, goddammit. <laughs> 
there's Sorry. a fast forward button. Our podcast. Right oh, shut the fuck <laughs> up. All right. Uh, but before I bore everybody by talking about lenses more, go ahead and tell me what happens. So, after the apparent suicide of her husband, James, Harper Marlowe um, is spending a holiday alone in this fictional village of Cotson, Hertfordshire. 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 Thank you. Um, in flashbacks, uh, we find out that Harper, who is fed up with James's emotional abuse and manipulation, um, is intending to divorce him, which causes this explosive argument. Incredible scene. Incredible scene between Several the two. Several of them, yeah. All of them are so... All the flashbacks are perfect. Which eventually leads James to declare that he will die by suicide if Harper leaves him. Mm-hmm. And she's pretty disturbed by it his... Sounds healthy. Right, totally. That's a mentally stable person. Um, totally disturbed by James's behavior. I wonder why. Um, Harper leaves <laughs> the room and quietly attempts to text a friend that she feels unsafe. James suddenly reappears, rips Harper's phone away from her, and reads the messages. He feels betrayed um, that Harper would even feel unsafe with him, and he becomes really angry and violent and he ends up punching her in the face a solid right hook too like not to compliment his punch but like more to say but in fact to say good lord he meant that punch like that was not like a casually thrown punch it's yikes that's what i mean to say like that was a perfect stage combat punch and he like immediately starts to apologize but harper just locks him out of the flat And then she sees him fall from an upstairs balcony to his death. Um, Harper discovers James's body um, impaled partially on a metal fence outside of her flat. It's disgusting. And so that all that we just gave the whole flashback sequence, but that all happens throughout. It's it's, it's it's like every 15 minutes you get a piece of it. Yeah, it's 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 little like interstitials, little vignettes, I guess. Yeah. Um, And you piece it together as one scene over like you realize that that's one like five minute sequence or maybe 10 minute sequence. Yeah. So in between this, here's kind of what's happening. Harper goes to this old, beautiful country manor house. Um, She's renting it she would you um, say it's another scare bnb oh yes yes we are <laughs> we're like uh, the unintentional theme of november so far has been like scare bnb has been scare BNB. like if we had waited to cover x it would totally be, totally <laughs> we could have themed this month again just been like hey let's do scare bnbs let's do this scare month BNB, this brand new subgenre. um <laughs> three movies this year came out and all have to do around that <laughs> genre <laughs> It makes sense. I mean, it's it's a prevalent idea. You and know. two out of those three films do not like men, rightfully so. Correct. Um, so there's there's like a big apple tree outside um, of the house in the garden, and she goes she starts to eat an apple, um, but then she goes to the door and is welcomed by the landlord Jeffrey, uh, who is pretty normal, a little odd, um, a little old fashioned. He's just a little country man. Um, One thing I want to interject there. Uh, so Rory Kinnear here is using a Yorkshire accent, mm-hmm. which in like English pantomime sort of stuff, uh, I guess it's not pantomime because it's, it's vocal, but like in English comedy as is used as this like, I want to use the word pretenders mm-hmm. dialect because Yorkshire was a place that was fairly working class, but just upper middle class enough yeah to like or just high enough in the middle class to put on airs and so it's this like almost um affected posh accent so it's used in like sketch comedy 
to denote somebody who is both an idiot and a liar. Yeah. Uh, That's a good Like a pretender, a faker. Um, So he's giving her a tour of the house. They have this, you know, kind of awkward exchange about Harper's marital status um, because she booked booked it under her married name, but is there a loan? So he's asking. Where's the hobby? Yeah. Um, he gives her this big key for the front door of the house. It's enormous. It's the size it's, of my hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but tells her that people do not tend to lock their doors in the village. Uh, so <laughs> this is the first sign that you ought to. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't care where I am. I'm going to be locking my doors, closing my windows. Our front door automatically locks and I still lock it behind me. <laughs> yeah. I will always and forever, because that's just like the dumbest mistake. Like, just Mm -hmm. lock yourself in wherever you are. Mm -hmm. Um, Harper later goes for a walk in the woods and stumbles upon an old um, railway tunnel that hasn't been used in a long time. Um, Finding that it produces an echo, she experiments using her voice to produce different pitches and tonalities within the tunnel. Um, Which ends up becoming the score for the film. So fucking clever. So fucking clever. It's pretty cool. Um... I should say I should say earlier when she's getting the tour from this guy, she mentions like the apple and he kind of makes this joke where he's like, oh, no, you shouldn't eat that forbidden fruit. And I love how it's 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 a reference to Adam and Eve, obviously. Oh, there's so many of those. And this, yeah. I'm going to get I, that's a big thing I want to talk about is like Alex Garland's hatred for religion in a beautiful way. Yeah, totally. And that's why that's why I wanted to call it out right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, just so that. Everyone knows what we're talking about when we get to that point. Oh, it's like we have a thesis statement or something. Yeah. Maybe we're good writers. Uh, Shocking. um, But then this figure appears at the end of the tunnel and is screaming and runs towards her. And she is trying to get away from it. But she realizes that she's become just like lost in the forest. She doesn't know where she is. Um, She goes up this large embankment um, and she escapes the woods, passes by some buildings that are dilapidated and like just clearly... Full disrepair, yeah. Yeah, and finds herself in this big open field at the edge of the forest. She looks back to photograph the abandoned structures with her phone. And then after taking the photo, she lowers her phone and sees this like bald naked man staring back at her um, among all of these like deserted buildings. And she you know, scoots her little booty back to the manor. (laughs) In this, like, Pride and Prejudice-looking scene, but it's horrifying instead of beautiful. For sure. Later later that afternoon, she's on a video call with her bestie, Riley, and Harper sees the naked man again through her her window this time. Um, And his face this time is covered with these, like, bloody scratches. He looks through her window and takes an apple from that same apple tree, And then she realizes that the front door is, like, a little bit open. She's like, fuck. Um, She quickly shuts and locks it, but the naked man puts his hand through the door's letterbox. And she quickly calls the police, and the man is arrested, with one of the arresting officers looking like Jeffrey. And then there's this female police officer who tells Harper that the arrested man is probably just homeless and looking for food and may have found shelter in those abandoned buildings at the edge of the woods where Harper first saw him. And then Harper decides to visit a church where the images of the green man and Sheila Nagig. Oh yeah. uh, Sheila Nagig. I think is how you, I think it's Sheila Nagig. Okay. I think that's how you, my, my Celtic, language group is not great but i'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced well it's carved i know what it is carved on a font um (laughs) she cries remembering james's death and then outside she meets a mask wearing young boy and a vicar 
um, who both bear a likeness to Jeffrey. Um, surprise, surprise. Whenever I hear the yeah, word... Yeah, where we start getting it. Whenever I hear the word vicar, all I can think of is Bridget Jones's diary when she's like, oh, but where are the tots and vicars? Oh. When she like shows up to the Easter <laughs> thing and that. I'm like, oh my God. I, uh, no, I always think of uh, Fleabag. Fair. Um, the boy insults her and, um, and when she declines his invitation um, to play hide and seek with him. And this is where she gets called a stupid bitch the first time. Yeah. And then the vicar sends the boy away. She discusses James's death with the vicar, saying that she feels haunted by it and that she believes he looked at her during his fall. Um, she wonders if that's even possible since the fall was quick and the vicar suggests that Harper might be partially to blame for James's death because she didn't let him apologize for punching her. Yeah. Um, Did you let him apologize after he hit you? It's a natural thing between men and women. Yikes. You. Yikes times a thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then furious with his attitude. I mean, yeah. Um, I would say more than his attitude, but oh, yeah. What he literally said to her, yeah. Yeah, um, she leaves, especially after that creepy hand on her knee, ugh. and then the like, the like, like orgasmic touching of the bench where she was sitting. God. Ugh. Oh, okay. Um, she leaves the church and goes to the village pub that Jeffrey recommended when she got into town initially. Um, there are just like a few people in the pub. Um, uh, they and the bartender, they all look like Jeffrey again. Um, Jeffrey is also there and he refers to Harper as Mrs. Marlowe before addressing her as miss. Yeah. He changes, he corrects himself. And then he insists on, on buying her a drink. Um, no legal tender here. Yeah. Um, she has a gin and gin and, or no, vodka vodka tonic. It was vodka tonic. It was tonic. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, Tover. Jeez. Um, <laughs> the bartender can't get a drink right. God damn it. That's okay, what I get for taking five months off the bar. <laughs> it's okay. I said I said gin. And it's just because that's my drink of choice. Um, his policeman doppelganger arrives a short time later. And then the policeman tells Harper that the naked man has been released in the absence of any legal ground to keep him detained. And she's like, he's like, well, what? Why would I have kept him? Like, he didn't do anything illegal. And she, like, lists all these illegal things he's done. And he goes, eh. I know, yeah, he's super dismissive of her feelings, and she's just like, well... Fuck all of y'all. Disrespected here, so I guess I'm going to leave. I had to leave the house, I had to leave the church, I had to leave the woods. I like, where can I go and be respected? It's like that's the whole theme of this movie in one sentence. Um, Anyway, so it's now dark. Um, The naked man follows her and appears from behind a tree in the town's cemetery. Cemetery? Symmetry. Symmetry. Ooh, symmetry um, and asymmetry? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, she calls Riley again um, and is like, I'm fucking out. I'm done. I gotta I gotta go. I got to go. Um, but Riley is like, no, fuck that. This is what you wanted. You wanted this place to heal and all this stuff. And she was like, you're not going to let that fucking man like drive you out. I so, love a ride or die. Oh, fuck yeah. Dina would 100% do this. Hi, Dina. Absolutely. And so Riley's like, how far is it? And she's like, four hours. And she's like, okay, send... Be uh, there in three. Be, yeah, I'll be there in three. <laughs> and we'll take walks. We'll do all these fun things. Blah, blah, blah. We'll be we'll there get together. lit. <laughs> yeah, totally. All the things that you would do in a scare B&B. And so, um, so she's trying to tell her 
the address, but the service is like interrupted. It keeps like glitching whenever she says like the postcode or something. And, and then she gets a text. Um, she gets a text from Riley saying like, just message me it. Which you were yelling at her. I was like, just send her a text. Just send her a fucking text or a photo of the thing. That, Cause she was looking at one of those scare B and B books. Um, and like, you know, Alex Garland, he's going to get the tech, right? Yeah. He is the sci-fi boy. So then we get a text back saying, saying like, um, I already know where you are, you stupid bitch. So we know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. She drops the pin and that's what she gets back. And it's like, oh God. Uh-huh. Um, but she sees the police, the policeman in her garden and goes to ask him, um, the fuck you're doing here? <laughs> yeah. What, what are you doing here? Um, but the, as the lights just start to flicker, he disappears and then one of the pub's patrons uh, appears and runs at Harper, who runs back into the house. She picks up a knife to defend herself before a window breaks in the kitchen. Jeffrey arrives and finds that the window breaking was a crow, which he has to euthanize by breaking its neck because it has mm. a broken wing now. It's very Poor sad. Um, whenever there's any animal, I'm just like, no. Especially corvids. They are my favorite. I know. You love corvids. Mm, they're so cute. Um, a chair has also been pulled over... Uh, or knocked over in the kitchen. Yeah, it kind of like falls over, but you're not sure what happened to it. Who Just knows? a nice little jump scare in a moment of enormous tension. Mm-hmm. It's like four jump scares in a row that all work really well. Yeah. And then Jeffrey goes into the garden to check for any intruders. Um, but then he also disappears when the lights outside flicker and the naked man is seen when the lights come on again. He starts walking towards Harper and um, blows these little pieces of the little dandelion, dandelion seeds, yeah. seeds on her, um, which put her in a trance. We should also say that every time we've seen the naked man, his appearance has changed slightly. So now he yeah. has like thorns all over his body. And we saw him earlier. He put he like attached a little uh, elm leaf to his forehead. For sure. Yeah. Um she gets inside the house and closes the door. Um, but when she reaches or he reaches through the letterbox in the front door um, and grabs Harper's hand, she stabs him through the arm. Oh, the scene, the scene, this um, moment. Oh, God. And then Garland he, is so good at gore. <laughs> he, he slowly pulls his arm free with the knife, ripping his arm in an, in a half. Um, it clatters the clatter of it. And it's what's, you know, obviously interesting is that it's, you know, it, it, it somewhat resembles the injury that James had during his fall because he was like impaled through the palm. Yeah, we're the, start, we start to get this slowly. We start to connect it, you know. Um, and then both the boy and the vicar appear in the house um, and each of them are now similarly injured. So it's like a mirror reflection yeah. thing. You hurt me quite badly. God. Um, Harper asks the vicar what he is, and he replies, a swan. Same, honestly. That's, <laughs> that's what I, yeah. What, there's no other answer. And then he starts to quote some lines from first W.B. Yeats's Leda and the Swan. Which is about Leda being raped by Zeus. Yeah, and then Samuel Daniels Daniels's Ulysses and the Sirens. Which blames women for Odysseus being a fuckboy. Amazing. Ama- like just just the writing is so fucking on point. Just I like know. leave it to Garland to be pretentious even about telling men that they're trash. He's like, it's always been bad, guys. It's always been bad. Um, 
Obsessed with thoughts about her sexually, um, the vicar attempts to molest Harper, but she stabs him in the stomach and says, bye. God, the mirror on this scene where you think he's about, like when he's already starting to assault her, he's got his double hand around her neck. Oh my God, it's like a serpent. But he makes an O face and somebody's been penetrated and it's him. By it's Z-knife. just so like it's so fuck you, Alex Garland. <laughs> like, I know it's, it's so, too good. It's so on the nose, and I would normally be mad about that shit. But fuck, man, it was just goddamn good. Like I can't say anything about it because like on the nose, correct. I loved it. Um, and then while trying to drive away, Harper accidentally runs over Jeffrey and stops the car. Um, we see that he has the same arm injury as the Green Man, the boy, and the vicar. In a complete rage, he throws Harper out of the car and drives By away. her hair. Yeah, out. But also his ankle's broken now. Yeah. And then, um, which, again, mirrors James's Yeah, because we see him death. on the sidewalk like that. Yeah. yeah. We now are like, we're now we're putting it all together. Faux show. Um, and then uh, he circles back around and chases Harper before crashing the car into a stone wall that's in front of the house. And then the naked man, um, now in like his full green man form. Yeah, he looks exactly like what was on the fountain in the, uh, the yes. church. He approaches Harper. His ankle is now severely broken and again matching another injury on James's corpse. The naked man violently, violently gives birth to the young boy. <laughs> so we get all the holes here. Let's go. Let's go in order. So first we get the young boy who gives who's given birth to from the vagina. A butthole. Oh yeah, right. First it's is the, like it's like a vagina. It looks butthole. like a it looks like a vagina, but it's like it's like behind the penis. So yeah, it's means. like it's on one side of the perineum or another. We're not sure which. And for those of you who are not learning, and this is sci-fi, the perineum so it, is the gooch. And 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 it's sci-fi, so it like doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> um, and then we get the next orifice, the next natural orifice something would come from the belly button. Exactly. Yeah. And then we get <laughs> everybody's favorite hole. <laughs> bottom of the spinal column yeah i was like <laughs> right okay. below the neck i was like where's i was like it could come out of the ear and then they were like no yeah. the back the spine um and then yeah so basically here's the order of this so the naked man violently gives birth to the young boy who then gives birth to the vicar and then the vicar gives birth to jeffrey and then jeffrey gives finally gives birth to james um and they're just, you know, they're like split in half. Like one one comes out of their mouth. And I was like, listen. James is the one who comes out of the mouth and is a breech birth because he comes feet first. I've always been pretty, pretty horrified just personally to each their own. But I've always been pretty horrified at like a vaginal birth. But watching this happen, I was like, yeah, it'd be worse if it came out of our mouths. You'd have to like break someone's jaw. Like, like a reverse shit. snake. Yeah. And then um, Harper grabs an axe that... Um, we saw by the fireplace earlier. And Riley specifically so calls out. You're thinking it's, you know, maybe Chekhov's axe. And it's a hatchet. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then both James and Harper sit on a sofa inside the house with him continuing to blame her for his death. And do you then, see what you've done to me? Yeah. And she's like, what do you want from me? And he's like, your love. And That's she's all like, I've ever wanted. She's like, right. Um, <laughs> just the way she's just like, yeah. get she's bit, like, my mm-hmm. guy. 
And then uh, when Harper, who's holding the axe, asks him what he wants from her, yeah, he explains that he just wants her love. And then um, in the morning, Riley arrives at the house and is revealed to be pregnant and is super shocked um, at the blood trail. I mean, you know. (laughs) I wonder why. Um, Leading into the house, Riley finds Harper sitting in the garden alive and smiling when she sees her and then roll credits, bitch. And I love that we get a sting in between because we don't get the title card until the end. Until the end. Which I love, yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's so fucking good, man. Just, But I just love the look of pity and like annoyance on her face in that final sequence. Absolutely. It's like a 17 minute sequence. Yeah. Where Mm -hmm. she says nothing but the word fuck. Yeah. God bless Garland and his third my, acts. My sentiments exactly. Fuck. <laughs> so yeah, this movie, fuck man. I mean, it's an Alex Garland movie. That's all, that's for sure. Written all over it. And then of course, an A24 produced. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> like A24, like you can, it, we've talked about this before and people have pointed this out, but it's so weird that you can just like tell. Oh yeah, you can spot one a mile away. Which is so wild because they have so many different projects, but it's just always the same idea. Yeah. Like, or same, I don't know, there's something about the vibe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, in particular with the Alex Garland thing, uh, once again, man does not like religion. Or men. No. Both, and on, I'm, I'm just looking through, to, like, we said this up top, but just like, yeah, going through his projects in my brain, I'm just like, wow, there's just, like, not many good dudes. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the religion in this is interesting. He, I think he's fascinated by religion, and I don't know that it's that he hates it, but he's fascinated by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Particularly for a guy who writes almost exclusively sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, and particularly horror sci-fi. Yeah. He has this just very interesting take on God and the supernatural, I would mm-hmm. say. Like, I'm thinking pretty like Sunshine, right? Where yeah. the sun is like a God-demon thing. Yeah. Or like a like a, a indifferent and sometimes cruel god. Yeah. Or the idea, uh, like in Ex Machina, talking about like the soul and what comes after, and can we capture that into something that was not naturally derived? Yeah. Annihilation, obviously, he didn't write the book, but he wrote the screenplay for that. Uh, yeah. He adapted it, and it definitely deals with like, what do we owe? the earth and what does our soul mean to us if we can be made out of made a copy of yeah. you know yeah and then in this focusing on um ancient celtic deities right yeah um both with the green man and the shin and the gig using these very traditional like i was reading up on them a little bit more um and it's they i mean they go way back and there's a lot of uh just there's there's it's not clear where they came from initially yeah but they are definitely uh, carried over from pagan times into uh, into the the Christian religion in sure. uh, the UK yeah and those four countries you know mm-hmm. and I so I find I just think it's really interesting the way he thinks about religion I don't know what to say about it per se but it's like he always has an interesting opinion like that she like her world starts unraveling in this tiny village when she goes to the church. True, very And true. that's when we see her, you know, screaming and in pain and finally not, like, having a stiff upper lip about it. Yeah. But truly her being, like, vulnerable yeah. for the first time. And then mm-hmm. her whole, this whole village just starts coming down on her. Yeah. From that point on, mm-hmm. you know? So I find that fascinating. That, like, yeah, that she spins, that she goes into this place that's supposed to be holy and revered and a place for comfort. Yeah. And it's not. 
particularly with like they're they're both fertility um, deities. Yeah, the, the Green Man and the and the Sheila Nagig. Because mm-hmm. yeah, if you didn't watch the movie, I don't know why you're listening to this episode, but. The green man has like a uh, uh, leaves all over his face and represents like male for and always a, a engorged penis, right? Yeah. And then the she's in the gig is a uh, like a woman figure, like a, a woman's but traditionally like female body. Yeah. Uh, with her hands opening her vulva, and yeah, I mean it's. I don't think he always has something to say about religion. More that he. It's an overarching theme for sure. Yeah, he wants to explore it. And I don't think yeah. he has answers. I think he has questions. Like Which I'm thinking is cool. like devs it happens yeah. too. Like they the one of the big plot points in the first uh, episode or two is that the devs team sees uh the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of religious themes um throughout throughout his work and I I love I love that you said it's more of like an exploration than kind of a take on it. Right. Um, which I think is really cool and is far more interesting. Um, yeah, just see, kind of cracking something wide open and just kind of saying like, well, what if it was this way? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's not that it, I wouldn't say like he has an antagonistic take towards religion or no. like a particularly bitter one. Mm-mm. But even like in 28 Days Later, like a lot of the stuff has religious overtures to it. It's a little more like playful. And, and curious. Yeah. 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 Like he, he just, I mean, that's why I think that's what makes him such a great science fiction writer is that he's a man with questions, yeah. not answers. Yeah. Um, like that's that's what your classic sci-fi writers have done, you know, like Ursula K. Le Guin or uh, Arthur C. Clarke or uh, Harlan Ellison. You know, they all have questions, not answers. Yeah. Um, and I think that's I think that's amazing. That's what makes me really enjoy his writing is that it is this almost like innocent curiosity. Yeah. Where he just is like, I don't know either, but let's let's do this together, right? Yeah. That's how it feels to me. Yeah, and. So there are definitely there's definitely some curiosity and play playfulness there, and then there's obviously a very strong take on men. Right. Like I mean, that's, that's the title. That, that, of that the, he does have an answer to. Yes. That's yeah. That's the title. That's the title of of the movie. And I I want to say broadly, like I really really enjoyed this movie. I don't think I've really said that uh, like my opinion on it quite yet, but I really enjoyed it. Would watch it again. Um, and. With that being said, I, I want to dive into, like, the last 30 minutes of the film. Totally. And talk about that. Um, so, with all of that context that you just gave with, like, the green man and Sheila and a gig and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the last 30 minutes with the whole kind of, like, birthing, kind of like those... Right. It's like the Russian dolls. Matryoshka. Yeah, exactly. Um, Is what I said when it was happening. Um, Silly take on it. But uh, with all of that happening for like pretty much the last 30 minutes of the film. So it starts with the green man, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the green man stole a woman's power, right? Right. So that's where it begins. And then, um, then there's just like the plain old like attacker that the policeman lets go in the movie Mm -hmm. and then the reasoning behind that behind the policeman letting him go is that he didn't steal any valuable property um so basically signaling you know that 
or insinuating that women aren't as valuable as property. Exactly, yeah. And then we have that like really passive aggressive nice guy at the bar in quotes, nice guy right. at the bar who pretty much just forces himself on women like as you know, makes forces women to accept a drink from him. Yeah. And then we've got the like the teenager, the kid. Oh, yeah, the kid. Yes, Sammy. Sammy only want to say who thinks that she owes him her time because he was nice to her at first. Yeah, because he wants to play. And then, um, of course, we've got the vicar who blames her for the abuse and then also tries to abuse her himself um, in a sexual way. And then we have the final birth, who is her ex, who, you know, threatens to kill himself um, if she doesn't stay with him. Mm -hmm. So what I found really... um, poignant and 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 moving about this whole 30 minute sequence was the way that i read it is obviously you know uh anatomically men can't can't and don't give birth male male humans yeah 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 okay so people with male anatomy or male genitalia cannot give birth so that leads me to believe that this is more of a um, allegory. Okay, yeah. And the way that I kind of read it was it was an allegory for how toxic masculinity is passed down from generation to generation. I like that. How you think, you know, that when children are growing up, what's the example that they see? Their father or their uncle or their grandpa or, you know, like how do they respect or disrespect the um, female presenting people in their Absolutely. lives. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I see you. So I I kind of read it as that. What really drove that home for me was the way that Harper began to experience all of this happening to her and how she was taking it in because initially it was shocking Right. Initially, mm-hmm. she was shocked and horrified. And then, if you notice, as the births continue to happen, she goes a little bit numb. Yeah. She she's, just. She's just there. We just see her uh, stare with pity and re- uh, um, re- repulsion. Is that I don't word? even see that. I kind of just see her as being like a witness. A little bit idle, a little bit numb. That's um, fair, yeah. And so what? the reason that that kind of drove that idea of kind of the generational, you know, passing toxic masculinity down is the first time you encounter it, it is shocking. And then it becomes, and this is just me speaking from a um, cisgendered woman walking through this life. It's shocking when you first experience it firsthand. Right. But then when you learn that it's literally all around you and it surrounds you, you just become numb to it. And it just is a part of your life, unfortunately. So um, that's kind of what drove that idea of like an allegory home to me was honestly Harper's journey for the last 30 minutes of the film. Okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. I like that. I mean, like, the reason I say pity is that like, I, that's that's the that's what Jesse Bucky was giving me. Yeah. Um was like I was watching it goes from like disgust 
to numbness or from I see I, I see uh, disgust, pity, and then numb, like you were saying. I think she lands at numb, but I distinctly remember see like it, it, something about her face just said like yeah, that's pity, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I and I think it's like the the numbness comes by the time she sees her just before she sees her dead husband. Yeah. And I, I find that fascinating that she's just sitting here deal, doing his, um, that she gets to, when she, when her, she and her husband finally sit on the couch or the sofa together, yeah. they, uh, you know, he just like, Oh yeah, I all I ever wanted was your love. And she's just like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like that. It's, it's, it kind of makes it circle back to disgust, you know? Yeah. That's what I was trying to get. Sorry. That was why I was taking me a second to get there. The music in this film. Yes. Fuck me. So cool. We already said, yeah, it's Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow who have done the work for all of, who've done work on all of Alex Garland's projects. And Jesus Christ, I love the way that they use the folk songs. Yeah. But also that they have, but they also have her playing classical music with the piano and the like sort of music concrete of her vocals. Like the, yeah. when she plays with the echo in the tunnel. And then when she screams and it's really dissonant with the music that's in the background, that was really cool. Yeah, it actually literally, it literally <laughs> really created cool. dissonance. Like, yeah. yeah. We, two music nerds were sitting there watching going, oh, they actually made like a, uh, that was a diminished chord. <laughs> well, and it, it, it really, really, really was successful in adding, adding to the world of this movie, adding to the general like atmosphere and it was music that you noticed. Like, I think um, in some films, it's there kind of in the background. Um, and you notice it maybe in a subconscious sense, but in, in this movie, we were noticing it more in a conscious sense. Um, and I think that that really, it really elevated it. It really took it to kind of a new artsy level for me, for yeah. sure. I was like, this is this is an artsy as fuck movie. Um where almost it feels like we're not even set in like a time period because we you, are out of time. Yeah, there you, is technology, but we're out of time. And yeah, that's what that's that's what leads me to believe that is that there is technology. There's FaceTime. Her friend kind of seems very contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like and I know that she's kind of at this uh, cottage type place yeah, in like the woods and yeah. you know um so that's automatically gonna make me think it's a little you know removed and and then if you take a look at her wardrobe throughout this especially her like final dress she's yeah. always very covered up she's always very um and i'm not even just talking about like maybe it's cold there like the dress that she's wearing is very thin but she's always it's it, it almost is very puritan it has a bit of that vibe. It has the cottage core vibe. Yeah, it's it, like right? a cottage core. It's like a salmon colored dress. It's like got long sleeves, like kind of a higher neck. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's down to about her ankles. You can just see her boots. You can't right. even see her ankles because her boots are a little high. Like she is very covered up, and I do also think that that. And again, it almost looks very. It's cottage core. It looks a little like Puritan. It's. You know? Yeah, it's very pretty. It fits oh, her very well. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but, but it's, it's not. It's not something that I would expect someone in 2022 to wear, even with this cottage core thing going on. Yeah, and then she pairs it with a very military style wool trench. Yeah, I think it, I think the wardrobe is very very cool, and also not only is it like just cool in general, like separate from this movie, I think it also 
adds to the theme and it and it 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 says a lot about what they're trying to say mm-hmm. um the fact that i think i think the viewpoint that we as audience members are supposed to take on harper is that she's she's innocent but she's also like badass she she's she's kind of an interesting character to me because I think that she's very strong-willed, obviously, if she's leaving right. this man. I think she's very brave. I think she's very, um, like, all of these things. But yet, I think she's also, like, a little bit innocent, naive. Like, this actress does a really great job of playing both of those things. Yeah, someone who is aware of how the world works and clearly watched her husband die in front of her and, like, was living with a very abusive situation. But still has some sort of it naive is a good word for it because it's almost like hopeful yeah it's and like in the sense that hope can be naive yeah i'm not saying that one way or another but that's that is an interpretation yeah yeah i don't know it's 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 interesting to me because she's mostly strong she's mostly brave but i think the situations that this movie is putting her in is meant to paint her a little bit like the victim, but then she overcomes that. Yeah, well, she's been victimized, right? Yeah. Like, literally speaking, she is the victim of spousal abuse in a number of ways. Yeah. You know, psychologically, emotionally, and physically. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, she starts as a victim and in the end takes care of herself. And her only the only other woman we spend any time with is her best friend who is pregnant yes that's the that's the reveal at the end yeah yeah but yeah it's this whole movie comes together really beautifully between the celtic influence the religious over the religious themes uh the music being bred from so when i said music concrete that if you don't know what that means it's using everyday normal sounds to generate melody and tune yeah so think of like um one of the best examples I would say is uh, the song "Money" by Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so like the money, like um, one of my roommates in college did his uh, senior thesis on music concrete, specifically through uh, "Dark Side of the Moon" mm. um, and that album and how it uses normal everyday sounds to generate melody and tune. So in that, I mean, she's using her voice not as a vocal piece, yeah, but it becomes the choral piece that we hear throughout, which is apparently sung by an Estonian choir. Right. Uh, I'm not even going to pretend that I pronounce their names. I can do pretty decent with certain Slavic languages, but Estonians completely pass me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, But it's really cool how that works all together, too. Like, this movie, like every Garland movie, (laughs) folds in on itself and in on itself and in on itself and in on itself and, like, like so much steel being folded into a a blade and then suddenly at the end you have this dope sword. Yeah. And, like, that's how he he makes movies. It's It's like a blacksmith. Just pounding away at it again, again, again. He iterates things so well throughout his films. And I think that this is, like, the clearest example of that. Like, this is the most case... Like, this is the case study for... If you were going to look at Nana Scarf movie and you were like, oh, I wonder what his style is like, watch this one. Yeah. This is him all over. The others have, like, elements of it, but, I mean, it's his latest, so of course it's going to be his most honed. For sure. Um, And he's been doing this for 20-some years. (laughs) But in that, I think that everybody who worked on this understood the project. That's one of our favorite themes at this podcast, right? When yeah, everybody when understood the assignment. Yeah, everyone just shows up, does their job, and does it well, and it just works. Yeah, and I particularly want to shout out the actors in this, because we really only have two actors. Yeah. Which, again, is what he likes doing, you know? 
um, Jesse Buckley as Harper and Rory Kinnear as the men of the village. Right, and then we have kind of the supporting characters. Yeah, we the, have we have her um, husband, her ex husband, and then her yeah. friends. Yeah, we have James and we have Riley. Um, I mean, we meet other people, but not really. It's a two hander. Yeah, but it's a weird two hander because it's like there's seven characters, but they're all Rory Kinnear. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's just really fascinating. So like, um, I think I said this earlier, but yeah, like the Green Man was a big deal for Garland. Yeah. Like it's something he really like was obsessed with for, he said like over a decade that it had been on his brain. He wanted to do something with it. And this movie was the realization of that. Cool. But so obsessed with it to the point that he was the one who put the finishing touches on Kinnear's makeup as the green man. That's so funny. Right? Like he's like, he's, he's, he's it's like, just let me do it. Just let me do it. It's a very John Carpenter move, right? Like, yeah. fuck you. I'll take the camera if you can't walk right backwards the right way. <laughs> just let me do it. <laughs> but yeah, I love the Kinnear like fully understood his role and it makes me really happy that he thought about it this way that he said uh be it from mike uh he said can you uh, i'm quoting from uh, uh something here that he says that um in an interview can said he uh he wanted that the men all the men he were uh he was playing represent an element of male behavior yeah from be it, and this is where i'm quoting him be it from the micro to the macro ag- aggression and also said that he tried to avoid each character being an archetype, but that their behavior depended on their own like internal lives as well as Harper's response to them. Yeah. So he, like, fuck, man, Kinnear got it. He was like, he had some other good quotes about it, too, um, in interviews. So he said, this is a bit of a longer one, so bear with me. Uh, he says, the film flags up both with pr- trauma and grief. That sense of it never goes. It's finding a way of dealing with it so the pain becomes a redemptive pain or a pain that exists positively in your life. It's a really difficult ambition, particularly when you're in the early throes of it. Which she's just recently buried her husband. Yeah. Uh, but the way it also reannounces itself in different forms. There are different triggers, particularly post-trauma, that you cannot be prepared for and that take different guises. Him. I feel like the film chimes with me on that level most. That sense of how to repurpose the awareness that traumatic events do live with you forever, but you are in control of how you can coexist with them. Yeah. That's fucking brilliant, man. Like, that, I just love when an actor understands the, the theme of the work. Absolutely. Yeah. As they, as they should. Well, um, yeah. I mean, it's part of being, that's the work of being an actor. It's not just delivering your lines and standing in your light, although that's 90% of it. Um, that's me making fun of actors. Sorry, babe. Say, um, no. <laughs> but anyway... Um, I also, I want to just, like, commend this movie for just literally being titled Men. Yeah. Like, I remember first hearing about it was actually someone making a joke. It was, like, on TikTok, and it was, like, it was, like, there's a new horror movie coming out called Men, and it just cuts to someone going, like, ah! (laughs) I'm scared enough. Like, I'm done. I don't need to see, I don't even need to see the movie. Just say the word. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, it's, I, I love that it's literally, it's just, like, no, this is, this is not, um, subtle <laughs> yeah and it's it's very like it's messages on grief are very similar to those in the babadook right yeah like um buckley said how it uh, follows you and exactly that, and you yeah. have to learn to live with it as opposed to defeating it right so um this is what jesse buckley had to say about the ending or harper she said i think we i think she went out to come to terms with the kind of monsters within herself and the monsters outside of herself and to meet them and for them to meet each other it doesn't follow the horror trope where the damsel in distress slays the dragon, you know? She meets the dragon, and she's come to learn how to live with the thing and to learn from the thing. I love that. Yeah, and so I think it, as much as it is about the, the horrors that men inflict on women, 
it's also very much about grief and I love that like it is a multi-layered film and it works everything points to the to the thesis and supports it over and over again yeah from the costuming from the music from the from the text itself from the fact that they spend 17 minutes with Harper not speaking yeah at the end of the like the last 17 minutes of the movie which is like See, it's a hundred-minute movie, so that's seventeen percent of its runtime. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's wild to me um, that the only two words said are "fuck" quietly to herself two separate times. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Until she talks to uh, to to James, that's it. Yeah, and I think that's fucking brilliant. I think that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, and that it stings with the title, and then cuts to the her sitting in the daylight. Yeah, with the blood around her neck. 100%. Telling us that this happened. Yeah. Like, it's not just, like, it's not just allegorical. It's literal and allegorical, and that's fucking great. Yeah, like you said, multi-layered. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of final thoughts on this. I love it. I think I'll, I'll watch it again. Um, yeah. I think once I watch it again, I'll probably find more things to think about. That's Garland <laughs> it's for great. you, baby. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. Um, definitely would recommend. Yeah, and for me, it's just, I... I love that Garland, the last thing I'll have to say, like, positively, is just that I love that Garland sets all of his work in the near future. Yeah. Sunshine's the furthest out. Yeah. But The Beach, uh, 28 Days Later, this, Ex Machina, Devs, Annihilation, they're all set in the near future. Like, they're, you know, 10 years at most out, right? Yeah. And so I you think, can still relate to it, but it's not, like... If, you know. Yeah, it's sci-fi that feels grounded in your day-to-day. Yeah. It also means that the technology keeps up yeah. just enough, you know? So, like, he updates his technology as he moves through, but, like, smartphones are a thing in the last four works that he's done. Because mm-hmm. um, Annihilation didn't have to be set in the near future. It just was. Like, mm-hmm. he, he made that choice. Yeah. Um, but it also means that all of his films, all of his work exists outside of time in a really, really cool way. Agreed. Yeah. That's something I love about him. If that's not, if that interests you, then go watch the rest of his stuff because it's all fucking good. Yeah. You guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. We have a website, HorrorBabesPod.com. And uh, if you're enjoying us, give, it, give us a rating or a review on iTunes. We really appreciate hearing from you. And uh, our DMs are always open. So Absolutely. until next time. Bye, babes. Yeah, babe. Yeah, babe.